for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Nicole Auerbach, senior writer for the Athletic covering college football about the upcoming college football season. We'll also pick her brain about her coverage, about what's going on with the three conference alliance, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. 41 schools, chancellors, and ADs have unanimously supported this alliance, but it's still kind of up in the air as far as what the details are, what they're focusing on, and what this alliance will mean. All things we can talk about with Nicole Auerbach, who joins me next. Today is Monday. August 30th. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Nicole Auerbach. She's, of course, the senior college football writer for The Athletic. And we got to make note of this. The National Sports Media Association put out their awards uh, for the National Writer of the Year. And Nicole was the winner. She was named the National Sports Writer of the Year, becoming the youngest writer to win that award and the first woman to win that award in the 61-year history. Nicole, huge congratulations to you. I look in the mirror. You and I are the same age. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing wrong? (laughs) Well, thank you for that introduction. I uh, am blushing. You can't see that. Yeah, I, I could not see that, but uh, well-deserved. And uh, everybody, make sure you're reading all of Nicole's stuff and, and checking around, obviously, all over uh, college football coverage for this year. So last time we talked, it was right before, or I guess before last season, before the 2020 campaign, in the middle of the pandemic. How different has the ramp up for you been this year? And we'll get into some of the more details about this season coming up, but you've got to be excited, right? That there's there's going to be a full season and you're going to get to see some games in person, I'd hope? Yeah, I, I do plan on seeing games in person. I'm going to Oregon, Ohio State in a couple weeks, and it just feels totally different. I mean, we're in a place where we know games are going to get played. You have everybody planning on playing and not conferences postponing their seasons. Obviously, there's concerns about the Delta variant, and there's been some restrictions about you know mask usage or, or requiring vaccinations for some fans to attend games. But I think for the most part, everyone is pretty optimistic that outdoor events, football games, you know, will be able to happen and, and that a lot of these teams are have high vaccination rates and hopefully minimal disruptions for the season. So feels much more normal. We had the full media day circuit. We had the full camp circuit and a full round of realignment chatter. So it's been a normal, weird college football offseason realignment chatter. This is one of the, the, being in sports media, and you specifically cover college football. I do a lot of uh, pro league stuff with, with my work here out in San Francisco. But when frequently when this stuff happens in college football, friends of mine, family might ask me to explain what's happened. And generally my answer is like, yeah, college football just decides sometimes one domino is going to fall. They're going to realign some stuff and they'll explain it later. I want to talk specifically about this alliance that appears to be kind of abstract at this point. And I think that because I'm out here dealing with the Pac-12, it's a story. Pac-12, Big Ten, AC, 41 schools, chancellors, and ADs have unanimously supported this. What's the goal? What are the details in this? And how does this all shake out? Explain to me how this alliance is going to work and what the purpose is. Yeah, I think abstract is is a good way to describe it for now. It's in the very early phases. And if you think about it, Oklahoma and Texas bolting from the Big 12 to the SEC didn't happen all that long ago. It was about a month ago. And so when you think about reacting and you know counteracting different measures it hasn't been too long and that that move blindsided so many people in college sports so when you have these three conferences the big 10 pac 12 acc and their relatively new commissioners talking on the phone thinking about where they can be aligned you know it hasn't been that long that they've been having these conversations about doing something so 
I think it was more about publicly getting out there and drawing a line in the sand and saying, here's what we stand for. Here's what we're going to work together on. And the SEC presumably is on the other side of that line in the sand. And so, you know, the topics that I hear the most are college football playoff expansion, the timeline of that input into the process of what the format looks like. And then also NCAA governance. The NCAA called for a constitutional convention later this year to theoretically overhaul the entire system and figure out where can they decentralize power, who should be in charge of what, what should be governed by a national body. And so those are two major issues that in playoff expansion are very behind the scenes, very much in Zoom meetings or in-person meetings, whatever, where these major decisions are getting made that isn't as exciting as talking about football scheduling, which these three leagues do want to do as well. But there will be real impact. And so I think we will start to see if this alliance is going to be a force to be reckoned with really in the next month, because at the end of September, there's a meeting for the college football playoff board of managers, which is the presidents and commissioners who run the playoff. And originally, you know, we were expecting them to rubber stamp the 12 team proposal, figure out how soon this thing could start. And, you know, now we're going to see if these three commissioners as a little voting block are able to delay the implementation of the playoff expansion and also what the format looks like. So I think we're going to start to see if this thing has teeth because staying together, voting, being aligned on major issues is significant and they are going to, you know, hopefully give us some football games across the conferences because I think that is one area where they'll be able to benefit from ways that you would in conference realignment about getting into new markets and new recruiting territories without, you know, the Pac-12 having to add a team that's 3,000 miles away or something like that. So those are the main areas. And I understand everyone really wanted updates and specifics about scheduling, but we're pretty early on in this process. And if I'm to understand this, this is sort of a verbal or a handshake agreement. There's nothing in writing or contractually obligating these teams or these conferences to each other, correct? Right. That's literally what they said, a gentleman's agreement. And, you know, that was mocked by some people. But I think you already have seen why it's probably smart to be a little cautious about the language being used and how formal this is, because this is an entity in college sports that has been the subject of antitrust litigation, just lost 9 nothing in the Supreme Court about what they're able to do. And you had Brett Kavanaugh wrote a really scary concurring opinion at the time to a lot of people in college sports where it basically said like, hey, there's a lot of aspects of college sports that would be illegal if this was any other industry, like bring on more lawsuits. So they have to be really careful about not colluding and, and not, not you know, kind of formalizing this stuff because it's just going to make them a target for more lawsuits. And so, again, I think that's a little bit part of it. And we're early in the process. Obviously, when there's actual scheduling agreements and when they know that there's open dates they can start to play, that would be formalized. That would be a different level of this. But I again, I think Part of it is just to kind of get it out there publicly that these three are working together. And it was their response to the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas. And they felt like publicly coming out and saying, like, here's our strength in numbers was a countermeasure. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
I think in general, fans would agree that when there's a balance of power, when there's balance across any sport, but college football in particular, it's, it's better for everybody, right? I think that chancellors and ADs and, and conferences look at it and they go, yeah, well, we need to make sure we're getting our cut, which is why the CFP being such an exclusive thing, it's been so fantastic for individual schools and conferences getting in over the last several years. With respect to the Pac-12, the Conference of Champions, they have not fared extremely well in the CFP. So is there a level of fear here for the Big Ten, the ACC? in the Pac-12 that with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, granted Texas hasn't been a powerhouse for some time now, but as far as big market schools go, big market college football, this could shift per Greg Sankey's movement here, the balance of power even more in favor of the SEC than we've seen in the past, right? Right. I I think that's why there was such a pressure to do something because the SEC was consolidating more power. And the SEC is already powerful. The SEC already just renegotiated a massive deal with ESPN and wields tremendous influence in college sports. Greg Sankey is the most influential person in college athletics. And you've had major turnover at a lot of AD roles, president roles, three of these power five jobs. And it's been quite clear that like you do need checks and balances. I think the healthiest the sport is was when there's regional checks and balances and you do have that balance because it's a regional sport trying to go national, but there's differences. There are different priorities. And I think, you know, we've already gone from there used to be more power conferences and the Big East went away and there used to be more independence, which, you know, again, like they're, they're individual power brokers. Like there used to be more... I guess decentralized power because you had more people involved in different parts of the country. And so I think consolidating power is a massive concern for a lot of people, especially, you know, as people are looking at the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas, they're wondering, are they just going to care about the sports that make the most money in that conference? And so that's where you get from these other three leagues when they talk about Olympic sports and broad-based programming, they do offer more sports. They do put more resources into that. And they believe that that's part of the collegiate model that they want to ensure. It speaks to concerns that they have about where the SEC can continue to go. Do they want to eventually have a mega conference and kind of be a mini NFL, like a minor league system? Like those are the questions that people are wondering. So that's really where, where a lot of this stems from and trying to say like, hey, these are three new commissioners. Two of them didn't work in college sports before, so they're still learning on the job. So maybe not one of them can be that foil to the SEC, but together as three, they hope they can be and provide that checks and balances. It's, I think, important to note that this wall college football, because of the money that it garners for each of these conferences and, and universities, sort of drives a lot of this. Like, have we seen a guy like Greg Sankey or a person in college sports affect the landscape of college sports this greatly? Well, you've had very influential commissioners before, but, you know, in the past for a long time, it was Mike Slive in the SEC and Jim Delaney in the Big Ten. So you you naturally had that conflict. Like, obviously, they would sit in the same rooms and hash things out, but you had that balance. You had the, the checks and balances and the counter moves. And I think that that is important, especially, again, it's a regional sport. It's different in different places. You don't have a commissioner. This is not pro sports. So, I think having different viewpoints represented has always been important. And it's just an interesting time because so much is changing in college sports about how they operate, what's allowed, how it works, the playoff, all these things. Plus, you also throw in the fact that you had these commissioners in these jobs for for decades. And John Swafford in ACC is another one as well, but you know, not as kind of wielding as much power as, as Delaney and Slive. But 
they were in those roles for so long. And so to have turnover in positions like that in a changing landscape is very interesting. And it creates a lot of interesting dynamics in those meeting rooms. And then again, as you talk about stuff like this, I mean, Greg Sankey is, you know, he gave an interview since the alliance was announced and was talking about how his phone hasn't been ringing from those people, right? And how like he's available to collaborate and do different things. But you know, like there's so much distrust and, you know, there's so many concerns about you got to protect your school, you got to protect your conference, you got to protect your interests in college sports right now. And that always happens when there's a period of instability around realignment. There's just a lot of fear and there's just distrust. So that's what's a little bit telling actually about doing a a, a gentleman's agreement, a handshake agreement, is that not a lot of people, you know, would probably be willing to do something like that right now. So we're going to have to see how it, it shakes out. And again, what the SEC does about it, but they made the big move. They they added Texas and Oklahoma. There's no one that is like Texas and Oklahoma to add. And they're in a good spot. They're about to make even more money than they already do. They had input in the playoff proposal. Like they're in a good spot no matter what. But I am curious to see how they feel about this countermeasure. And just again, some of the things that those three leagues are saying about what they value. They're presumably saying the SEC doesn't and that the SEC just cares about football and money and that's it. And I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I think a lot of people care about football and money and that's it. I don't think that's unique to the SEC. I think that's that's a, a sort of unique to us as a, as a nation and as a people. I love me some football and I love me some money too. Hey, on the way out, I, I really appreciate you breaking all this down for us and, and giving us a scope into what's happening here because you've unfolded this really beautifully for us to, to understand what's going on and we're still sort of a long way from this being all set in stone. But uh, on the way out, sort of just a fun college football question as we're getting the season started. Heisman Trophy stuff. It's, it's easy every year to pick a quarterback and over the last three years, we've had some sort of, I don't want to say random, but kind of outlier guys who have won it. You go to Kyler Murray, who was a first-year starter and had been drafted number 10 by the Oakland A's in the the first-year baseball player draft. Joe Burrow was the 52-rated passer in the nation when he comes in as a starting quarterback. Devontae Smith, the first wide receiver in almost 30 years to win it. Do you have a a handicap favorite for yourself on the outlook of the season here? Is it JT Daniels? Uh, is uh, Is it Spencer Rattler? Is there somebody you have in mind? Yeah, well, I think Spencer Rattler and is, is pretty obvious. Sam Howell, DJ Ungalele, like those are those are the obvious ones. I would say if you're looking for non-quarterbacks, Brees Hall at Iowa State is going to put up massive numbers as as a running back. And then I would also say Chris Olave. I think is going to be the best receiver in the country at Ohio State. And you know, we did just see a receiver get enough Heisman buzz to to win this thing, which is very hard to do. And and maybe Chris Olave can do that. He's a, he's basically a walking highlight reel. How about Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon? What do you think about him as a defensive asset? We did a Heisman draft on on The Athletic, and I picked him as my defensive guy because I love defensive guys, and I think they should be getting into the Heisman mix. I think they, they get stiff because they don't have as many stats, and I think it's harder to sometimes measure how much they impact the game. But, yeah, that's my guy. I think he's going to have a massive year, and I would love to see, love to see an elite pass rusher get into the Heisman race. It would be really, really cool. Nicole, you do a fantastic job as evidenced by winning the award as the National Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association. We really appreciate the time. Keep up the great work and we'll catch up with you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Fantastic breakdown from Nicole. I, I got to tell you, this stuff has been convoluted. It's been complicated. And because it's just a gentleman's agreement, I, I think there's still a lot up in the air that they've got to figure out and iron out as far as the details of this alliance are concerned. But in the coming days and weeks and months and probably years, we will find out what this means. And then probably in two to three years, they'll just realign a whole bunch of stuff anyway. And we'll start all over from scratch because that's how college sports work. Thank you to Nicole. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We have got a lot of fun stuff right around the corner. I was looking at the calendar the other day. We're a month away from having Warrior basketball, 49er football, and San Francisco Giants playoff baseball all going on at the same time. Later this week, we'll get into some 49er stuff and some NFL stuff. Cut day goes down tomorrow as we get ready for week one in about a week or so. Also, the Giants and the Dodgers square off this weekend for the final time this season should be a blast we'll do some 49er talk nfl talk as well as giants dodgers in the days ahead until then enjoy the week we'll talk to you wednesday